Man, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming and choosing Lindsay Lane North to worship with us. We are proud to have you. Whether you're joining online or you are here in person, we are so excited to have you that you took time from your week to worship with us. Uh, if there are children, kiddos in the room that you came and you're here, um, you participated in the Lord's Supper, but you would like to go to our children's service, you're welcome to do that at this time. And so if there's any kids, kindergarten through fourth grade, that want to make their way to the back, y'all are dismissed to do that. Not all everybody at once. Okay. All right. Awesome. Good deal. Good deal. Um, so we've got a lot of things coming up, man. We are excited, as I made reference to. We are excited about next week, excited about Easter, excited for the first time that we get to celebrate on this campus our Easter services. We've got a busy week coming up. Uh, if you have not signed up to help with the Easter egg hunt on Saturday, please make a point to do that. Next Steps table, or even actually the, what we use as a small groups table, would uh, be more than happy to get you taken care of there. You can sign up uh, to, to be a part of that. We need people to hide Easter eggs, to get there early. It starts at 9. We need people to get there at 8 to help hide Easter eggs. Uh, we've got, if you've got eggs, you need to make sure you get those into us today or let me know so that we can get in touch with you uh, to get them because we, we're, we're looking like we're going to have something around 4,000 eggs. Super excited about, um, but we need that many because we've got four different hunts, right? And we want people to be glad they showed up to do it too. So uh, we are looking forward to that, a great outreach opportunity. And then Saturday night is our first service for our Easter service. Again, I know that's unorthodox. I know that's strange. Um, but then we have our 9 o'clock in the next, mor- the next morning, on Sunday morning, Easter morning, and then we have our 1030 service as well. And so we would love to invite you to that. Here's what I would ask for our church folks to do. Uh, if you come and you attend in person, uh, I would like to ask of you to attend either the Saturday evening or the early service on Sunday. All right, we know that there's going to be a lot of people here. Uh, We're excited and looking forward to that. Uh, But in order to make preparation for that, we would ask that you would attend, come to attend the Saturday night service or the Sunday 9 a.m. service because that 1030 service we know is usually when a lot of the guests come. And so we would love for you to sacrifice that. And you may be going, well, that's not my normal routine and that's a little inconvenient, especially if you're talking about Saturday, that's a little inconvenient, to which I would respond to you, I know it is. Thank you for that sacrifice because we would rather inconvenience ourselves or inconvenience someone that needs to hear the gospel message. So we, with the limited seating that we have, we want to make sure to give every opportunity that everybody that comes has an opportunity to worship God. And so that's what we would ask for you to serve. Again, placing yourself interceding as a servant for others. I don't believe that's, that's uh, a, a huge ask. And we would also ask for you to serve. Serve one of these services as well. So attend one and serve at least one as well. I'll be serving all three, all right? So, so there's that, okay? So, so make sure that you're doing that uh, and serving one another in that way. We're in our last series, our last week in our series called Synced, that we are agreeing with God in prayer. We've agreed with God about ourselves in confession, and we are making our confession, getting right with God so that we can be used for God and for others, uh, by God for the good of others. Uh, we've talked about last week interceding, that we are spanning the gap 
between God and this world. That it is God has chosen the church to reach the world. We are his plan A. He could have done anything. In fact, Scripture tells us he could have used rocks. But he's not. He's using the church. And so we are his mouthpiece and we do that. And we intercede for others as we, as we go. This week or is the last week that we are agreeing about God. We've agreed about ourselves. We've agreed about others. Now we are finding ourselves aligned with what God says about himself. We're talking today on the subject of supplication. Supplication, making our requests known before God. This is what supplication is. Confession is inward. Intercession is for others. And supplication is making our requests known, our requests known to God. So what do I mean then by saying that supplication is agreeing about God? If this is our request to God, why, why would I word it that we are agreeing about God? And we need to understand the word in the Greek uses a combination meaning. One is expressing need. All right? And so for supplication, the first side of supplication is that the person making supplication has to recognize their need. Right? Recognize that they need God in order for something to take place in their life. And so in humility... The first part of supplication is that we understand that we are without hope, without making our request known to God. And so it communicates need, but it also combines need with the idea of asking. The idea of making those needs known. Now, I don't know about you, my kids have learned at their young age how to work me and Becca as their parents. Um, I did this too growing up. I remember we'd get out of church and I wanted to go over to a friend's house. Well, there was a certain parent that I would go to and ask permission. That was my father. Especially on a Sunday when he's in pastor mode, ministering and talking and has other things on his mind. And I would come up to him and ask him something like, Hey, Dad, can I go over to so-and-so's house? To which he would respond, Sure. Absent-mindedly, Yeah, why not? Sure, go on, right? Or if I needed to ask, if I asked for money, I'd, I'd, I'd ask Dad permission. Because he just, he just, he was always thinking about other things and I could get him most of the time distracted and I knew when that was. And so if I was going to ask permission, I was going to ask my dad. Now, dads, we wise up over time, do we not? Because enough times of my dad saying, sure, and then coming home to face mama, that I knew the answer was absolutely not. I just didn't ask her. Because if I asked her, then I'm disobedient, right? And so, and so you just don't ask her. You go to your dad first. Well, then my dad wised up. And then what does every dad do in order to respond to their kid when they ask, Daddy, can I do this? What do you say? Go ask your mama. See, there's some wisdom in this room, guys. You need to learn. There's some wisdom here. Go ask your mama. Why? Because I don't want to fight with my wife. So I'm going to let her make that call. And then she may say, well, ask your daddy. Well, he told me to ask you. And then we get so confused by that time. Hopefully the friends have gone home and we don't have to worry about it, right? We always knew. Now, I would go to my dad for permission. Now, when I needed forgiveness, I'm going to mama. Right? Now, my dad was the disciplinary. My dad would get the belt out. My dad was tough on me, especially as the boy. Right, that I had a certain line I had to toe, 
And, and if I didn't, he didn't mind correcting that physically and correcting me and, and straightening me out, right? And so, and so if I needed permission, I'd go to dad. If I needed forgiveness, I'd go to mom. And it's funny to me how we've learned to do that and kids learn to do that over time. I'm, the, I'm like my dad. I'm the one you ask for permission because I don't really care. I'm like, yeah, sure, Greg, go over. Who, who is this kid again? You know, like as they're walking away, like, you know, like it doesn't, it, it's fine. Yeah, go spend the night. It'll be great. You know, my wife is a little more like, hey, we got this and this and this to do. Alan, have you thought about this? So I've learned, go ask your mama. But we make a request known. And so to make a request known presupposes that the person that we are asking has power over our circumstances. Right? Why do we ask our parents when we need when we want to do something, right? Because they have power in order to determine what we do. And so when we make our requests, when we make our supplications, our requests known to God, not only are we recognizing our humility and, and our neediness, but we are recognizing the ability that God has to meet those needs. And so supplication paints a beautiful picture of, of, of who we are in light of Christ. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, prayer begins where human capacity ends. Until you are at the end of yourself or find yourself at the end of yourself, you typically will not make supplication, will not pray. And so because prayer takes over where human capacity ends. When we're convinced that prayer works, I believe we will pray. When we're convinced it works, instead of treating prayer like the Hail Mary pass at the end of the football game when your team is down by six and you got to have a score, prayer is the front line. It is the most important thing that you could possibly do in life. And if we believed that, we would pray more. But instead, I think a lot of what we do is we say a lot of things. But you know what? You'll do what you believe. You can say a lot of things, but you'll do and you'll pursue what you believe. So if we believe that we are completely without hope, and we believe that God is the author of hope, then we will come to him in prayer. And if we're not then one of those two areas we are missing in our walk with the Lord. Tony Evans says this, one of my favorite quotes about prayer. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. We are giving earthly permission for God to take over. What we're talking about when we recognize our need and his ability to meet this need, what we're talking about, the word that we're using there is faith. And so in your Bibles in Matthew 21, we're going to be a lot in the Gospels Today, but in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse, or in verse 22, listen to what Oswald Chambers says. This is so good. Prayer is not preparation for the work. It is the work. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. Prayer is twofold. It is definite asking and definite waiting to receive. When we make supplication, when we make our requests known to God, we are expressing our needs to one who can meet those needs. It is not this weak, timid prayer. It is definite asking, God, these are things in my life that I need you to intervene in. And then it's waiting for a response.
Listen to what it says in Matthew 21, verse 22. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So faith is the key component to our prayer life. It is key. If we don't have faith, then we are missing the point of prayer. Prayer is coming to God in faith, knowing that he is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. So it's definite asking and it's definite waiting to receive. But now many have taken this passage of Scripture and they have taken it out of context of Scripture. And they have used, built whole theological systems around this idea that if I have enough faith, I will receive everything I ask for. This is how they twist that. And though it looks on the surface like this is what it's saying, this is not the clear teaching of Scripture. If it is the clear teaching of Scripture, then we need to have a conversation with Job. Because Job asked God to answer his question of why he was going through what he was going through. And God never answered it. He never once responded to the answer to the question of why Job went to. So we, none of us know, right? Not just Job, nobody knows. His three friends don't know. We don't know why what happened to Job happened to Job. We don't know why. Now we know God had a plan through it and a purpose and we see that later on. But God never answered the question. If God answers every one of our requests, then we need to take issue with Jesus in Gethsemane. Because Jesus asked for God, he made, a supp- he made supplication asking God to remove the fact that he would taste the cross. But yet Jesus would suffer and he would die for us. If we believe that if we have enough faith that we'll get anything we ask for, then we really need to talk to the Apostle Paul who was given a thorn in the flesh that he asked three times, made supplication three times, asking God to remove this thorn in the flesh. And every time, God responded the same way. Not sure, buddy, because you asked enough. Now Now I'll move my hand. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul didn't get the desire that he wanted. He didn't, his request was not filled To the affirmative, it was responded to, but not in the way that he desired. And so when we understand faith, listen, we've got to find a balance between approaching God in faith, but trusting God as well to do what he knows to be best for our life. We've got to strike this balance. So so there's parameters in which our faith is important in order to employ for the glory of God. While God's power is limited, our prayers are limited because our connection with him is limited. And so we're going to look at that today. Turning your Bibles to John 17. We're going to look at how the, the limiting factors, the, the context behind our faith as we make our requests known before God. This is important, y'all. This is vital to who we are, our identity in Christ, to understand that we can approach God's throne room boldly with our requests, but that we maintain faith in God to meet our needs. And so the first thing we see is faith in the context of love. 
John 17 is the longest prayer we have recorded in Scripture that Jesus prays. It, this happens somewhere between the upper room, what we just did, the, the Lord's Supper. It happened somewhere between the Lord's Supper and Gethsemane. Now, we're not real sure when, but what we do believe is that the disciples were around and the disciples heard the prayer. And it's the longest prayer that Jesus, we have on record that Jesus prayed. I doubt it was the longest prayer he ever prayed, but it's the one that we have on record because the disciples heard it as he prayed. But we're going to see these limiting factors, not, not necessarily limiting, but just we're going to see it in the context that prayer and supplication is intended to be received in. And so first is in the context of love. Lifton, listen, Lifton, listen, we are limited in our ignorance. I don't know if you know this or not, but you don't know everything. I know it came as a shocker to me. My wife preached the same message to me earlier this morning. Alan, you don't know everything. Like, it may come as a shocker, but we are ignorant and naive in our thinking. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 1. Someone, by the way, who was not naive and not ignorant and knew all things. Listen to what he says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God, make your will, make your word clear to us. Illuminate it. Let us see it with the eyes of our heart and let us understand in our minds, God, what you have to communicate through your truth today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Every time Jesus prayed, he began with a very familiar phrase. He prayed to God as Father. He prayed as God the Father. Jesus, although being God in the flesh, not less than God, but equal to God the Father, still identified with God as Father. He was showing us the posture that we are to take in humility toward God. God as our Father. Now, he and, he and the Father were one, but Jesus still took the posture of a servant as he addressed God. Why is this significant? The posture of a son and the posture of a father is necessarily different in life. Myself functioning as a father is fun, and, and with my family is fundamentally different than the posture that I take as the son of my father, my earthly father here on earth. Right? I, I, I act in completely different ways. It's in the nature of the Son, it's in the design of God for the Son to bring honor to the Father. And what did Jesus say there? He said to glorify your Son. Verse 1, glorify your Son. Give your Son something so that in turn your Son may glorify you. I love what R.A. Torrey says. He said that anything, God, we have every right to request anything of God that would, be a, that would give God, help us, enable us to give God further glory in our life. God will respond to the affirmative to anything that we ask for that will give him 
glory. So God, I need help. Give me glory so that I can glorify you. Whatever you give me, I glorify you. It's in the nature of the son to honor their father. But it's in the nature of a father to give gifts to their son. This is a posture that we see in the context of love. Listen to Matthew chapter 7. You can turn over there real quick if if you've got time. Matthew chapter 7 gives us a very practical application of this. It sounds very similar to what we've read before, that if we just have enough faith, then we'll get. If we just make our requests known, then we'll get whatever we want. Listen to the first part of this, this passage. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, if we stopped right there, we would say this is exactly what we've read before, that, that if we have enough faith, so if, if, if there is a loved one in my life that I'm praying to be healed, if they are not healed, it is because I don't have enough faith. It's a failure on my part. My friend, that is not necessarily the case. Because listen to what he says in verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask of him? The key there is how much more. Sometimes in my life I have asked for bread and fish. Things that I needed, things that fell within the parameters of God's will, things that were good for me. There are times that I have requested that. But bless God, I am ignorant. And there have been plenty of times that I have asked for things that were not good for me. And so though I perceive them in my ignorant brain to be good for me, because they were not good for me, God did not give me what would be a bad gift. Instead, he gave me a good gift. And he didn't give me what I asked for. Who's to say that because we are making the request that we get to be the determiner of what is good? Jesus is the standard of what is good. Does it not make sense that one that has achieved goodness be the standard for goodness by which we make our request known? And so to understand this is to understand the posture that we are to take. Listen to this. This is in your notes. Receiving what we need rather than what we request can provide us the greatest opportunity for faith. It's one thing to have faith. I need to have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith, that I'm going to get this, get this, get this, get this, get this. But what if God doesn't do it? Do you have enough faith to believe him just because he's your father and he's going to give you good things? You see, that's where faith is truly tested. Not in believing hard enough and long enough to get what you want, but in trusting God to give us what we need. And so in the context of love, we see a limit to a blank check from heaven. We, our requests are not requesting of God a blank check from heaven. They are trusting that God, if we're really humble in our asking... If we truly know that we are needy, then we are going to trust a God who is willing and able to meet all of our needs. Even when things don't go 
our way. Secondly, we see a limiting factor in the context of law. Faith in the context of law. Sometimes we are disobedient. And in our disobedience, we don't receive God's best for us because we have separated ourselves from him. Listen to what John 17 says. John 17, 4 through 6. This is Jesus again praying in the presence of his disciples. I glorified you on earth, speaking to God, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence that the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. He says, I've glorified you and I've accomplished your work. I have kept your word. I have been, the reason why Jesus made the request that he has, and we have no response to Jesus other than, other than Gethsemane, right? We don't have any other response. When, when Jesus set apart to do something, we have God responding with yes, is because he had accomplished the work. He was living in perfect obedience to God. And as a result of the perfect obedience that he had to God, he and God were so much on the same page that everything that he asked for was in in accordance to God's will. He said, I've accomplished everything. And not only me, but these people that you've given me, they're keeping your word as well. Jesus was discipling others, right? Disciples are those that follow Jesus, right? That we disciple people who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. That's what disciples do. If you don't have disciples following Jesus as a result of your influence, then don't call yourself a discipler. Don't call yourself a disciple of Jesus because the definition of a disciple is one who makes disciples. That was for free. But he says, yours they were and they gave them to me. Listen to what he says in verse 11. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. He says to keep them in your name. You need to understand God's name is not just something we attach to the end of a prayer request list in order to give us VIP treatment with God. Because I said in Jesus' name, I'm going to get it, right? Instead of assigning God's name to requests that may or may not be outside of his character, the idea of a name for the Hebrews meant something entirely different. It was tied to who they were. It was tied to their character. And so for us to be kept in God's name is not to say, God, here's all my things in Jesus' name, amen. It is that every intent and thought and desire and direction of my life be in alignment with obedience to the character of God, right? And so if I am aligned with him, if I am in his name, I am in lockstep with who God is. I am synced up with God. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do. Not 
attaching it to the prayer. John 17 gives us insight into this. Being kept in the name is not just assigning God's name to it. It's asking inside the parameters of the character of God. And so our faith must operate in the framework of God's will. When we are outside of God's will, we are limiting the power of God in our supplication, in our request, because we are outside obedience with God. Listen to your, in your notes. Faithfulness toward God will lead us to further faith in God. As I walk in faithfulness to God, God proves himself faithful. In the area of giving, there's been times in our life where giving didn't make sense for us. It didn't make fiscal sense to give. But because it was a non-negotiable for us, and, and not even in an area of obedience and tithe, but in over and beyond the tithe, when God would move on our heart, and I knew that God was calling us to give. My wife knew that God was calling us to give. We're about to do it in the, in the future really soon again. That we knew God was calling to it. And it may, it may not have made sense to us. But when we are faithful, we get to see God's faithfulness and our faith is built. Listen to John 15. John 15. If you walk in perfect obedience to God, then you will have everything you ever request. That's a big statement. But if you walk in complete obedience to God, you will have an answer. You will have everything you ever request because we are walking in line with who God is. John 15, 7 through 10. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you. And then in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so abiding in God is the key to having your request answered. We are to abide in him. But here's something incredible. As we abide in Christ, the things that we experience in Christ will not lead us to want things in the world. It will lead us to want more of him. Proverbs, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. If you are putting your delight in God, then he is your desire. And if you want to glorify God with your life, then God will richly bless you in order to bring glory to himself. And I'm not talking about physical blessing. I'm talking about a revelation of who he is, abiding with him in relationship with him. And when we're outside of relationship, when we're outside of that, then we are disconnected from the power. But it's our proximity to God that gives us the power in our prayer. And I'm relying on technology here for this illustration, which makes me super nervous. But I've got a, my, yeah, I think we're good. Got my Spotify playlist pulled up here. It's actually the church's. And uh, if I wanted to listen to music in our house, in our home, uh, I would go on my phone and I would click Graves into Gardens. Y'all hear that, right? Y'all worshiping with me? Okay, you can hear it a little bit better now. The volume of this is limited because it's on my phone. There's something cool that technology has figured out. Bluetooth 
has allowed you to, in, in order to have a better product, in order to hear music better, you can sync your device to a speaker box, which is what this is. You can sync your device. And so, but if, as long as this device is close, I don't, I don't know what that noise was. That makes me nervous even more. If you, if you sync your phone, if it's close enough in proximity to, in order to connect through Bluetooth wirelessly to this device, if I want to play music throughout my whole household, I'm not going to be able to use my phone. Instead, I'm going to have to sync it to a device like this. And so tell me if this isn't a little better. See, I did it again. Y'all can all hear that, right? Dude's got some twang, man. Serious. So what's the point? The point is this. If we are in sync, if we are walking in sync with God, if we are connected with him, then we get to take part in God's power in our life. But it comes not through anything other than a connection with him. It's, it's the, the, my phone being close to the speaker that gives the speaker the power, right, for you to hear it. And in the same way, it's our capacity to abide in Christ, not to want things that provides power for our life. And so thirdly and finally, we see faith in the context of lostness. These other two have been negative toward us, right? That we're ignorant. That we're ignorant that we are disobedient. But we also need to understand that sometimes God is doing things in us that we don't see. And God is using us in ways that he doesn't that we don't see. And so three, we see faith in the context of lostness. Sometimes what we don't receive from God comes in the context of the mission that God has given us to live in our life. Maybe the reason why you haven't gotten that promotion that you've wanted or or that transfer that you want is because God's called you on mission where you are and God's waiting on you to impact lostness in that area before he's willing To grant the request. And so John 17, listen to this in 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is the disciples. Those disciples that would tell other disciples, who would tell other disciples that eventually would bring us to Elkmont, Alabama, here at Lindsay Lane North. But for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Again, abiding. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. The words them, these, or they occurs 19 times in this prayer that we have. In 26 verses, 19 times, others come up for Jesus. And so his prayer in 17 isn't just supplication, it's intercession. Who is he interceding for? He's interceding for the disciples. He's interceding for those that would come and be a part of the church later. He's interceding for the entire history of the church. 
And so 19 times in 26 verses, it includes others. But listen to verse 23, there at the end. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. Why do I want you to do all of this? So that the world may know. And so for us, if God has called us to reach people with the gospel of Christ, he's not just working in us for the sake of us. But in your notes, what God is doing in you is for others also. Others are important into understanding sometimes the things that we get or we don't get. Because God has us on a specific mission and looking at the needs of others will bring us to the understanding that we don't receive everything that we want from God. Why? Why was Jesus, why did Jesus have to give up heaven, have to empty himself of Godship? Just for a, 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 the, the, the privilege of Godship, at least. Why did he empty himself and come and take the form of a servant? Why did he do it? For others. He did it for us. Right? And so what God was doing in him was not just for him. It was for others also. Matthew 26, 39, we see as we've talked about Gethsemane, right? Jesus' prayer in the garden. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Although Jesus in his humility, in his humanity, wished not to go to the cross, the lostness of the world compelled him to it. And so his request may not have been answered in the way that he wanted it to be answered, but because of lostness, because of the mission of God that was being executed through Christ, he endured the cross. And so this is not, when we, when we make supplication to God, we are not giving God a list of our demands and expecting him to answer each one because we really, really persist in it. But in fact, if we will align ourselves with him, if we will understand the context of love, that he is our father and everything that we get from him is going to be good, and so if we don't receive, it's good. And we will understand who we need to be abiding in him. Then what we'll discover all along is the things of this world grow strangely dim in light of his wonderful grace. This is the posture that we take in supplication. God, here are my requests, but I trust, I believe in you, I have faith in you that you are able but even if you don't, I'm going to follow you. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? As we mentioned, our relationship with Christ is dependent. Our, our, our supplications are dependent on a relationship with Christ. And so if you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Christ, listen, he's not your father. The prevailing teaching of the world is that everyone is God's children. And the fact of the matter is that is not what scripture teaches. We are not all God's children. In fact, outside of relationship with God, we are children of wrath. We are children that the wrath of God is focused on us. But God has made a way to be in a relationship with him through his son, 
through Christ. And so if you're not God's children, you're not God's child, he makes that available to you today to understand that connection, to understand that closeness, to understand that intimacy. You can respond to the marvelous gospel of Jesus Christ today. We want to give you the opportunity to that an invitation. Any, any individual decision that you need to make or as a family that you need to make, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. We're going to sing in just a moment in an open invitation. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And if God is drawing you to make any decision, maybe he's drawing you to do business with him here at this altar. Maybe you don't need to make any decision per se. Maybe you just need to do business with God. Maybe you just need to lay some of your cares down. Whatever the case may be, I ask that you would do that. Respond in closeness to God, making those requests known before him. And so if that's you and any decision that you need to make today, this time is a time for you. Would you respond? Come find me. I'd love to get you hooked up with a counselor that would love to talk to you about any decision that you need to make today. I want to give you this opportunity to respond. Father, may you be glorified in these next few moments. May the enemy be bound from the hearts and minds of, of people in this room. And God, maybe we just draw close to you. May you reveal yourself to us in a powerful way. God, let us abide in you in these next few moments. And as we abide, our bodies do whatever it is that you call us to do to be in obedience to you. In Jesus' name.